Okay, and uh, we have a little lesson here for y'all this morning. Brother Bob had asked me to teach because he was going to be out of town, but then he wound up being here, but he told me to go ahead and teach anyway, so. Okay. So we're going to teach a lesson here on the great playwright. And y'all know who I'm referring to by the picture and the fact that it's the great. He is the great playwright. So for definition, if you don't know what a playwright is, it's a person who writes plays. I don't know if anybody here did not know that. person who writes plays. Okay. So uh, a drama is a play for theater, radio, or television, an exciting, emotional, or unexpected series of events or set of circumstances. And part of God's character is dramatic. I want to give a few disclaimers here right up front. There's a few things I'm not saying in this lesson. I'm not talking about God being dramatic in that like he likes to stir up drama for no purpose, like some instigator in your family. Everybody's got this person in their family that likes to stir up trouble and cause that kind of drama. I'm not talking about that kind of drama. I'm talking about the type of drama that has purpose, that has a part in revealing the character of God. So part of his character is dramatic. He loves to write and act out plays in the lives of people. This is evident in the lives of Bible characters as well as in our lives today. We are not, these are more disclaimers here. I don't want anybody to walk away with the wrong, wrong idea. We are not puppets in this play. God gives us free choice. has been thoroughly covered recently by Brother Wade, Brother Bob on his last Sunday school lesson and uh, Brother Chris Long. We've heard it mentioned. I think everybody here agrees with that. I, I, I agree with it full heart, wholeheartedly. I don't believe we're puppets and that God's a puppeteer making things happen. This play took place in his mind before the world, but it's based on his foreknowledge of our free choice and what we choose here. So I want to say this to you up front before I forget. You don't have to wonder if you're predestinated. You don't have to sit and wonder, am I born again? Am I predestinated? Just open the Bible and find out. Okay, because you're, you're showing that today. If you choose Christ today, every day, several times a day, every time you open the Bible, every time you spend time with God, you are proving your predestination because it's based on His knowledge before of your choice now. So now's the day of salvation. Now's the day, the time to choose that. It does not make evil happen, but permits it for a purpose. Like in the fall, I'm going to talk about the fall here in a moment. Uh, he didn't make it happen, but he knew given the circumstances, the opportunity, it would, and it would take part in this great drama. God's great plan brings his word or seed predestinated eternally from God at the right time in our lives. I have a whole lot to say, so if I could get really fast here, I apologize. But God loves poetry, music, art, and plays. These things all show some part of the character of Christ. Uh, if it's done right, I believe God is even in math and science. Those things at one time I believe were used to prove God, not to try to disprove Him. But Brother Banner said God is in music. God is in art. He's in uh, nature and in uh, the universe. He's in all those things. He's really everywhere you look if you know what to look for. But that includes these dramas. And uh, so... Let's just take a look at all of time for a moment. From the beginning to future home that's not per se what the future home will look like that's just a picture i got it looks good but just to give you a visual here so from the beginning all the way to the end you have this great big drama and if you look at it as a high level not a lot of little details but just the broad overview it makes a great big story okay from the beginning to end this huge story that includes all kind of characters all kind of people and over all kind of times and events and and circumstances 
but it's a big drama, and it all took place in the mind of God before the world, and we're seeing it lived out today. Now, you get a little bit on a lower level, you can get down into the lives of individual characters, say just in the Bible, for example. You get down to the nitty-gritty of their lives. Their individual lives were a drama in this big drama, and you get down on a lower level. The events that happened in their life were little bitty mini-dramas inside of the drama of their own life. So there's just layers and layers of this. It's just, it's, uh, it's just these plays, these dramas, stories, whatever you want to call it, that all manifest some part of the character of Christ. So in any drama, there's these certain elements. And I'm not an expert on drama. I just Googled some of this to see which ones compare. One is definitely there. There's an antagonist. There's got to be that antagonist, which is the bad guy, the enemy. So... Let's take a look at Genesis for a minute. In the beginning, let's look at, at where these start to come into the picture. So you have first just like a novel or story or, or a movie or whatever. You have this beautiful scene. You have a happy family. And then, you know, you kind of fast forward to the end and they all live happily ever after. At the beginning, they seem to be happy. But somewhere in the middle, there's got to be this element of the antagonist, the conflict, the conflict resolution, all those things for, to draw you into the story. But in this case, that's not, it's not just to draw you into the story. It's more like to manifest the character of Christ. Because in the beginning was this beautiful scene, okay, uh, of Adam and Eve. They walked with the Lord, and she wasn't, she wasn't Eve at the time. She was Adam's wife, the woman. But they had fellowship, communion. They walked together. And Gabby and I have often, just as husband and wife, kind of pondered, supposed that maybe the Lord, I'm not saying he did, but maybe just speculating, Maybe he would have been walking them along in the garden and saying, consider the lily, consider, like he did with the disciples sometime later on, like he did in the Gospels, consider the lily and, and talk about the lily, how it manifests part of his character. And then the rock and the river and the mountain and all those type of things because everything portrays something about the character of Christ. Maybe one day he came up on a rock and he said, now Adam, Eve, my children, this represents my, uh, my revelation. I'm sharing with you. A revelation of me. I'm sharing you, with you my character so you know what I am. You're fortified. You're safe behind that rock. And it's solid. They might have handled it and said, yeah, Lord, it's solid. It's, it's firm. But then he might have said something like, but it also represents salvation. And they might have said, well, what do you mean salvation? Because they had no way to know. So he might have said, well, you know, hold that thought. Just wait just a little while. You'll find out. Because that's part of the story. And in comes this antagonist. The serpent, okay, well, really, the devil and the serpent. Now, as he comes into the stage here, uh, there's this conflict right off the bat. Right at the very beginning of the story, there's this great conflict called the fall. And then, just hitting high level here, not getting into too much detail, uh, after that is the protagonist uh, brings in, which is Christ, okay, the devil and Christ are throughout the entire story in different forms, wearing different masks. They appear all throughout this great story. And uh, in different people, you know, Brother Benham said God takes his man, but not his spirit. The devil takes his man, but not his spirit. So they're acting throughout this whole entire drama, wearing different masks. The antagonist took on the form there of the serpent, but there's, um, but then here comes the protagonist, Christ, and he says, I'll put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And he fulfills that at Calvary. So Calvary was the ultimate conflict resolution. It solved everything, every problem caused by the fall. And then, in, of course, the battle, and then the guy gets the girl. Rides off into the future home, so to speak, Christ and the bride. And it's a beautiful, happy ever after for all those uh, that are affected by redemption. Because like Brother Wade's been talking about, redemption doesn't affect just Christ and the bride. It's, it's not just the bride. It's all these other groups involved in this great big drama. Beautiful story. Such a beautiful story. And we're all a part of it. In Genesis, it doesn't ever refer to 
this creation as being perfect. Though it's without flaw, there were no flaws because God made it. But it keeps referring to it over and over again that God saw the light, that it was good. God saw this and that it was good. Over and over again it mentions good, but it doesn't say perfect. Now there's a difference there. In Strong's Concordance, good means pleasant or agreeable. This is what Brother Bob got into Wednesday night. Um, perfect, though, is having reaches in, complete. In other words, uh, complete in all its parts, full grown, full age, full maturity, and that kind of thing. So when God does anything, including his creation here, it was good. But there had to be this conflict in order to bring perfection in time, over time, over the space of this period that we've entered into called time. So it all had a purpose in there. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begot he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creature. There is good and perfect. Differentiated there in that verse, James 1. Good is of good constitution or nature, useful, salutary, good, pleasant, agreeable. Think about it as your new birth. You're come to a position where you're agreeable. The Spirit in you agrees with the word, so you keep on going. You're good, but you're not perfect. You're not complete. You still have to keep going on to completion. So many people stop at good, but let's keep going on to completion, perfection. Perfect means brought to its end, finished, wanting nothing necessary to completeness. completeness. Consummate human integrity and virtue of men full grown, adult of full age, mature. Okay. So the people in the Bible likely did not know that God was making their life a part of his great drama. Could he be making our lives a part of his drama as well? Let's consider that. Elements of a drama or play. You have settings, you have character, plot, protagonist, antagonist. That's the good guy, bad guy. You have the dialogue, the acts and scenes. Think of the Bible. You have conflict or tension, and then there's a climax. There's a conflict resolution, or I'm going to have to look up that word. I say it. I had it wrote down here. Denouement. I never, I never knew that word. Denouement. I think that's how it's pronounced. So a resolution, okay, is reached. Jeremiah 29. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Your script personally catered to you was written in the mind of God before the world he had it in his mind it's your part of you know his eternal life he had that for you laid out okay he has a journey for you to go through a drama for you to go through and it's all based on your free choice here so what you're choosing now okay is is what that's based on he has your script in his mind you just attach yourself to it in the new birth journey okay this is our own brother Bob, Wednesday night. He started your revelation. This is his quote. Okay, this is what he said, not Brother Brown. Okay, I'm just saying. This is what he said. It was profound. He started your revelation. He's going to finish it. He's going to bring it to an end. He started it and finishes it. He started the whole thing and he's going to finish it. He said the first was Reuben, the last was Benjamin. The birthstone of Reuben was Jasper. The birthstone of Benjamin was Sardine. He was to look upon his Reuben and Benjamin, first and last. He that was, which is, and shall come. He's Alpha in the Greek alphabet, Omega in the Greek alphabet. He was the first and last. He was from Benjamin to Reuben, Reuben to Benjamin. What is it speaking of? That he is the author of your faith. He's your finisher. He's the same voice the whole time. I remember him talking Wednesday night about a voice. The same voice you hear through your whole journey. And the one that started the work is able to finish it. He's the one from Reuben to Benjamin, Jasper to Sardis. It's a journey, a process that God has been dealing with you as he takes you on a journey. Like he took Abraham on, Ruth on, and Esther on. All these stories, dramas, stories in the Bible. David and Abraham and Moses, every one of them, you can go back. 
and see that they started from somewhere and God took them to a place of completion. I'm talking about that your life, this is later in that Wednesday night, I'm talking about your life that has to be vindicated. Your life has to be proven scripturally that matches up with the Bible. That's the kind of person God is going to take in body change. That's why you know as we're studying these things out, these sermons, the Brother Brandon preached, the little stories are just kind of woven in here for a purpose to build up our faith, to give us revelation of something that maybe was previously hidden. From who is this Melchizedek? And after you recognize the very word of God was eagle food, you left the other thing. You have been formed in the living image of the living God you heard from your theophany. Okay. Hebrews 11 contains, which is what we're on in Sunday school. Brother Bob's been on Hebrews 11. Contains examples of plays written in the lives of real people in the Bible. These are not fiction. None of this is fiction. It's all real. The word of God is so real. It's so alive. It's a living thing. I hate to say thing, but it's God in letter form. That Logos that condescended out of Elohim. To, to be revealed. They show different parts about the character of Christ. Many people in the Bible acted the character and purpose of Christ without knowing it. Their lives were examples to us. God's condescension from Elohim to flesh. It went from his thought to word or logos to flesh. And as Brother Wade has been uh, preaching from John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, word with God, word was God, word was made flesh built among us. We're a part of that. Okay, he's coming being made alive in our flesh. We're part of that revelation. God's character was brought back, brought into flesh in Jesus, then in us. It produces his life in us and causes his dramas to unfold, reflecting his own character. Word includes stories, drama, whole written Bible, songs and psalms, all from the Garden of Eden until Revelation is a drama made up of people and their stories. From the unveiling of God... I'm trying to skip on down, just skip about halfway down. Christ in you, how beautiful, how wonderful to think. God pouring himself to the human being, the believer, pour out. It was a part of his drama to do so. God had all the fullness of the Godhead body in his person, Jesus Christ. Okay. Second Corinthians 3, you are our epistles written and read, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as you are manifest, manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, not written with ink, with the spirit of the living God, not in tales of stone, but in fleshly tales of the heart. Okay, God uses, and think about, while I'm, I'm going to get on names here in a minute if I have time, think about the name Zoe. That's become a popular name now. I know we have a Zoe, um, well, two Zoes. Anyway, Zoe's a popular name. It means the life of God, I think. Um, there's uh, a, lot of, a lot about names we're going to get into here. just wanted to mention that while I was thinking of it. God uses drama to reveal his character and attributes. The elements of the drama are very effective in achieving this, especially through the law of opposition. You know, we wouldn't appreciate day if it wasn't for night. We wouldn't appreciate health if it wasn't for being sick every now and then. The conflict and subsequent resolution make known his mighty power. It's all part of his great love letter to make himself known. Okay. The trial that we face in our spiritual journey is part of the drama. All right, so the benefits are like confidence that God is with you. When you start seeing what I'm fixing to talk about, you'll see, you'll have confidence in the Lord. Here's those examples. I want to get to these as quick as I can. Okay. So, Brother Branham, he was preaching on this day as a scripture fulfilled. And y'all, I'm sure y'all probably remember what happened there. There was two pages stuck together in his Bible, stuck perfectly together. Think of the drama. This is one of those dramas I'm talking about as an example. There's two pages stuck perfectly together. And I was reading from the 17th chapter instead of the 16th. Well, I said, it's all fine it's for some cause. And just as plain as you could hear any voice, a voice came to me and said, He entered into Nazareth where he was brought up at and went to the synagogue, and it was his, as was his custom. And the priest gave him the scripture, talking about Jesus now, to read and read Isaiah 61. And when he read the scripture, he sat down, handed the priest back the Bible, the book, and sat down. All the eyes of the congregation were upon him. 
precious word proceeded from his mouth. And he said, this day is a scripture fulfilled. That actually happened again in here on this uh, 1965. Brother Branham, there was a, a, a pre, uh, what he called a priest, Catholic priest on the platform, I think, behind him. Brother Branham's pages stuck together. And this Catholic priest came up and handed him the Bible. And he read it from him, from that, from his Bible. And, you know, it's just one of those little dramas that's just vindicating Brother Branham's ministry and vindicating I think God's still here doing these things, living them out in our lives. This is, I know y'all are going to think this is silly. This is the type of thing I want you to look for in your life, though. This doesn't help you to see these things that I see in my life. It's for my comfort and confidence in the Lord and knowing that he's been there with me. But a lot of you know I drive a chicken truck, which is depicted there on the left. And um, I realized years after doing this, I go in at night. I drive till you know, 10 at night, 11 o'clock at night, all up to about noon the next day. So I drive all night, part of the next day. And while I'm driving at night, I'm thinking about the Lord, meditating on His Word. That's my prayer closet. You know, that's where I meet the Lord. And while I'm there, I was, sometime back, a while back, I was thinking, Brother Bantam told that story of the drama of the testimony on the sea. And the disciples were out at sea as they fished at night. I don't know if they always did, but they did some fish at night. And they drag this net along as they catch their fish and talk about the Lord and, and talk about the, His mighty works. And that's what I'm doing in the chicken truck. I'm dragging a net, big old metal net with... Same type of animals, dumb brute animals with no mind, totally mindless animals, taking them to the market, so to speak, to sell them, make a living for my family while I think of the Lord. So I'm living the life of a disciple in 2014. I, no, sorry, that was another year. 2023. I realized it back several years ago. Anyway, uh, a little quick story about mine and Gabby's first meeting. Uh, there was a lot of symbology. Remember Brother Bob talking a while back about symbols in the Bible? God still uses symbols. There's a lot of symbols in our life and things that, that mean things. Our names mean things. And a lot of times these symbols in our life are, are meaningful. Before Gavin and I met, we both wanted a marriage that had Christ, a Christ-centered marriage, where it's a holy matrimony, where you put Christ in the marriage by reading the Bible and praying as a couple. And then when you have kids, do it with your kids likewise. That's what we wanted. And then the day I met her at Monticello Camp in Kentucky, um... There was she was sitting on a rock between two trees, which was symbolic of it. I didn't realize this till years after we got married. This is where meditation comes in. When you go back and review these things in your life that are kind of like captured in time, it's past, it's over with, but you still have memory of it. You can go back and review your spiritual journey, your natural journey, and the Word of God, and meditate on all those things and begin to see God's been there the whole time. It wasn't just by chance you married that certain person. It wasn't just by chance you got that job. It wasn't just by chance you wound up a church here. You know, there's so many things that God ordained in the life of a believer. If you're in Christ, He's leading you. Believe me, He's leading you all the way. So there was a rock representing Christ and two trees representing mine and Gabby's lives consecrated to Christ. Okay? I didn't say, whoopee, I've got to marry that girl. No, I just said, good to meet you. God bless you. Would you come into fellowship? That's all I went to meet her for because we there's all these cliques, you know, how cliques form. And I was in a clique with Sister Joyce and some other people. And I saw her sitting by herself, and I just went to invite her in, and that was it. Just walked away. Didn't think anything of her. But there was those symbologies there. The Lord had my wife sit on a rock between two trees symbolizing what marriage we would form later. And our rings, she picked them. They had, uh, she liked the crosses on them, but they have, again, that same thing. Diamonds in the middle with crosses, rocks with crosses on either side. Another thing, the story of Brother Branham that he told about the army meatpacking boy, he went to meet this certain girl. He was, I'm not going to go over the whole story, it's really long, but basically, the guy owns the army meatpacking company. His son wanted to get married, went out west to a ranch. Guy there had some daughters. 
he went to meet them and he was interested in getting married, meeting a, uh, a wife, getting married. They were all forward and flirty, so went on the back porch and met this other girl that was an orphan and backward and bashful and kind of ragged dress but modest and all that. So he went looking for character. He went on the back porch, found the one he wanted to marry. When I went to Kentucky, that camp, I was at the moment on the back side of the camp, like the boy, trying to get away from a flirty girl, like the boy. Some of y'all know her, okay? And she's not that way anymore. She's married, happy, and grown up. But she was a flirty little girl at the time, this other certain person. I was trying to get away from her. That's when I met my wife, just like the boy in the story. I was about the same age as the boy in the story. And um, went over there and met her. Didn't think anything of it. And But we met on the back side of that camp. And here's this girl, like the girl in the story, orphan. She was a life, accustomed to a life of servitude, just like the girl in the story. Not real fancy dress, but modest. Everything I was looking for, a godly Christian girl that would be willing to put Christ in marriage and backward and blushy because that's what I was looking for. God knows my heart. After we met, the youth at that camp put on a play that was based on that story. After it just happened in the middle of the camp in front of everybody, this little drama of us meeting, just like the boy and the girl in that story, those kids put on that play on the camp. I didn't understand that story at the time. I didn't know the song, The Promise from the Cotman family, but they played that song and acted that drama out. Really weird. And it was years into our marriage till I realized that. That's what I'm saying. Don't forget these things that happened and meditate on. When Ava was born, she almost died at three days old. Our trial, that whole trial was according to Mark chapter 4. It was just very synonymous with the disciples out at sea. And not many of you have faced this type of thing where you're in a trial of life and Jesus is asleep on the pillow waiting to see what you will do, if you'll believe him or not, if you'll believe he's in control even when he doesn't seem to be there. He didn't seem to be there. I said, Lord, my baby is dying. Basically what I prayed was something like, where are you at, Lord? That's all I said. Where are you at, Lord? We leave him to go to the Bible study that night. She was fixing to die. So where are you at? And then later on that, that same night, uh, he, I got my rebuke. You know, he in the story, he rebuked the disciples for their unbelief. And then the winds and the waves, he rebuked the winds and the waves, and they ceased. So I got my uh, rebuke that night when I read First John 4. It said, he who feareth is not made perfect in love. That was my rebuke. Right after that, the doctor said, your baby is stable. She had been declining and declining and declining up until that time. And then she said, your baby is stable. So there was the calm. And it tied in perfectly. And at that same time, we were overlapping dramas here because there was that Mark 4. And then here's Psalm 23. We're walking down the middle of that one because he prepared that table before me. I set my Bible on a coffee table after I just read that verse, that spiritual food in due season, and I realized something was happening. That was fear and death. Okay, just like David in the Psalm. He had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. David had natural enemies, but he had those same spiritual enemies we face. So as I sat down, my Bible opened it up. There was symbols, but then there was also something spiritual that happened. A lot, <laughs> lot more to that story. So how do you attach yourself to your script, God's predestinated plan for your life? Read the bomb, pray every day, and meditate. Amen. Spend time with God. Anything that goes under that broad category of you spending time with the Lord, there's a lot of more things to that. Meditation is powerful. It's, it's mostly an untapped resource, food for thought. First of all, think about the Word of God that's been revealed to you. The things you already understand, they're simple. Just think about what you already know. And then let's see if God will bring more. And then the names, uh, meanings of names and so forth, that's significant. Spiritual journey, where you've come from. How did you get where you're at now, spiritually and naturally? Brother Ben talked about the names Elvis and Ricky. It's the name for this day. It goes with this. It means something. You say a name means nothing. Then why did he change Abraham's name to Abraham? 
And musicians, y'all go ahead and come. Why did he change Jacob to Israel? There's meaning to names. This requires perseverance and a permanent change. I'm not talking about try it for 90 days. I'm saying for the rest of your life from now on, read the Bible and pray every day and listen to the Word of God. Like anything in life, it requires commitment, single-mindedness, tenacity, patience. Like Brother Wade been talking about patience. We are crockpot Christians, not microwave Christians. It's not an easy-bake oven sort of a life. This is a daily grind. That's all I have. God bless you. Thank you.